The following audio is for Emmanuel Baptist Church. More information about Emmanuel is available at our website, www.myemmanuel.net. I want you to join me this morning in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We resume our study of the book of 1 Thessalonians. We took a little time off there. And now we're going to pick it back up. And we pick it back up at a really important time in the letter. Let me remind you, as we've been teaching this book of 1 Thessalonians, that this is the first writing of the New Testament uh, period of time, or New Testament era. In your, in your New Testament, it starts logically with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the gospel story, the story of Jesus. But the actual first writing was First Thessalonians. And the Apostle Paul has gone to Thessalonica. He has started a church there. He's taught them things of the doctrines of grace. He's taught them justification and sanctification and glorification. He's taught them of heaven and hell and of sin and forgiveness. He's also taught them of the second coming of Christ. And now he's left and he's gone away and they have some questions again about the second coming. In particular, they're starting to be concerned that believers who pass away before the second coming won't be included in the rapture. And they don't really know how that works. And so they've sent word to Paul and as he writes this letter to them answering all kinds of questions, he now comes to the answers concerning the second coming. If you've got a copy of the scriptures, find 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We want to begin in verse 13. I've entitled the sermon, Things About the Rapture That Every Believer Should Know. It begins in verse 13. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers. It's generic. It's brothers and sisters. We don't want you to be uninformed about those who are asleep. Here in this passage, the Apostle Paul is going to use the metaphor of sleep to talk about death. And so he says, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who have died or to grieve like others who do not have hope. So number one on the list of things that every believer can know about the rapture is that God wants you to know some things about the rapture. Literally here in verse 13, God doesn't want you to be uninformed about his return. Now, there are some things that we cannot know about the rapture. Jesus himself tells us that no one knows the exact time or date. No one can name that. The one thing that you can be certain of is whenever some kook or some yahoo, I'm just going to say it, some idiot Uh, declares that Jesus is going to return on a given day, the one thing you can be certain of is Jesus isn't going to return that day. Because the scripture says, no one knows the day or the time. Now, he goes on to say, Jesus, that you and I shouldn't be caught surprised. We shouldn't be caught unaware. We should recognize the signs of the times and realize that he's coming. It's just that we don't know the day, the time. We don't know those things. But what we can know are some things 
about the rapture. And, and, and it's not just here in 1 Thessalonians 4. We find it scattered all throughout the New Testament in particular, things that we can know for certain about the rapture. So what I discover with many believers is that they somewhere, someplace, tried to read the book of Revelation, and then they just, they just gave up on it. They just said, well, you know what? Nobody can know this stuff. And, and so when people say, well, I'm a pre-tribulational, pre-millennial rapturist, and someone says I'm a post-tribulational, pre-millennial, and someone says I'm a mid-tribulational, pre-millennial, and someone says I'm a post-millennial, and somebody eventually says, well, I'm a, I'm a pan-millennial, and somebody goes, what's that? I just think it's going to pan out in the end. But you don't have to just think it's going to pan out in the end. Just because you don't know the exact time and date doesn't mean there aren't things that you can know. So what has God write to us? Inspired. He inspired the, the Apostle Paul to write this. He says, there's some things that I want you to know. I don't want you to be uninformed. The King James actually uses the word ignorant. I don't want you to be ignorant of these things. I want you to know them. So what's next on the list? Verse 14. Since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, kind of with that, he means with that same belief, we also believe that through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have died, those who have fallen asleep. So the second thing that I want you to see, something you can know about the rapture, is that the Apostle Paul equates believing in the death and resurrection of Jesus and the second coming as two parts of the same doctrine. So I want you to think this through just for a second. What's the first part of that? Well, Jesus came to earth. Jesus came to earth, and he was, uh, he was born of a virgin. He was born in Bethlehem. He was born of the, of the tribe, or not the tribe, but the, the lineage of Jesse, specifically through Jesse's younger son, David. Uh, there are 300 fulfilled prophecies of the first coming of Christ. The, there's prophecies that he would go into Egypt, that he would go to Galilee. There are prophecies that John the Baptist and the spirit of Elijah would come first. 300 prophecies, and we have all of this of his birth and of his life. And he lived a perfect life without sin so that he could pay the ransom for our souls. Say amen. amen. This is what Jesus did for you. You couldn't get to heaven on your own. You couldn't be good enough to get there. Jesus had to come. He had to die. It was the only way we could ever have heaven. And the precious blood of Jesus, which you just sang about, was shed right there on the cross so that you and I could have this. And you say, how do you know, Paul? How can you know that Jesus died for your sins? Because he rose again. If somebody makes claims and then they die, you don't know if those claims are true. But if they make claims, die, and he says, I can lay my life down and I can take it back up again. Now that's someone you pay attention to. How many people you know raise themselves from the dead? Only Jesus. Jesus is alone. This is a this is a this is a one person group. Jesus is the only one who can take his life back up again. And so the Apostle Paul says, so we believe this. So if we believe in the resurrection of Jesus, if we believe in the first coming of Jesus, 
why wouldn't we believe in the second coming of Jesus? In fact, in Paul's mind, this doesn't make any sense at all. I often meet believers who say, I believe in Jesus, I believe he came to die on the cross, but I don't know that I believe all that second coming stuff. Why would Jesus come the first time and not come the second time? In fact, if you read Scripture, it's very clear. He came the first time so that he could come the second time. He came the first time to die for our sins. He comes the second time to be the judge of our sins. He came the first time as the Lamb of God. He comes the second time as the Lion of God. He comes the first time as the suffering servant. He comes the second time as King of kings and Lord of lords. It doesn't make sense unless there is a first coming and a second coming. And in terms of the second coming, I just told you there are 300 prophecies about his first coming. In the Bible, there are 900 prophecies about his second coming. It would mean this, if you were a mathematician, he's three times more likely to come the second time than the first time. And we already know he came the first time. So Paul, the apostle here, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, puts together two doctrines. He's saying they're made of the same stuff. It's not possible to believe that God's going to come back at the end time, and he didn't come the first time. And it's not possible to believe that he came the first time, and he's not going to come back at the end time. They go together, and you can know that. Every believer can know that. That's written for us here in Scripture. Well, this passage is actually to answer the question that the Thessalonians had. The the question was, well, what about our believer friends who uh, love Jesus, served the Lord, but now have passed away? Are they going to miss the rapture? So the Apostle Paul begins to answer that. Verse 15, for this we declare to you, and Paul here gives us something that we could read over really quickly. I don't want you to. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. The Apostle Paul is telling us, this isn't just me. Now, if, if, if the Apostle Paul had been inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, it would be the word of the Lord. But now he's saying something more precise. We know that the Apostle Paul, by his own testimony, after, after he was saved on the road to Damascus, went away and he says, I met the Lord. And the Lord taught him. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, I got this from Jesus. So what he's about to share with us isn't even second generation from the apostles. This is from Jesus. What is it? That we who are alive and who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, the voice of the archangel, the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So he's answering the question for us about the dead in Christ, those who have loved Jesus, served Jesus, given their life to Jesus, but they have passed. What's, what's going to happen to them in the rapture? Well, what we read here is that God will bring the saints who have died with him And at the second coming, they will rise first. Now, if you're any kind of a critical thinker, the sentence should perplex you. Wait a second. Is he bringing those who have died in the Lord, believers, is is he bringing them with him? Or do they rise first? And the answer is, uh uh-huh. So... I can't tell you exactly how this works, but I can tell you that 
God doesn't lie. I can tell you that his word is truth. I can tell you on that day it'll all make perfect sense. Now, here's some things that we know. Remember, this, this message is about this is stuff you can know. We know that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We know that from Paul's letter to the Corinthians. It means in the moment that you close your eyes in earthly death, in the moment that this body passes away, in that moment you're in the arms of Jesus. In that moment you're in the presence of the Lord. The idea that you're in a waiting room or a purgatory, that's not biblical. The idea, like all the jokes about we're in a line at, uh, at the gate of heaven and St. Peter's checking us in, those are just jokes. That's, that's not the Bible. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So in the moment that a believer closes their eyes in death, in that moment, without any lag time, they're with Jesus. So there's, there's no soul sleep. They're not in the grave. They're not waiting for the rapture. They're in heaven at that moment. So it only makes sense that when Jesus returns, what we've just read is he's going to bring all of those who have given their lives to the Lord and now their, their physical bodies have died. He's going to bring all of them with him. But he's also going to do something else on that day. I think it's a huge object lesson. I think on that day, every grave of every believer will be opened up, and the corpse, the mummified, the body will be gone. I think as an object lesson to all those who are left. Now, when we get to study of 2 Thessalonians next year, we're going to read that when the rapture happens, that those who are left will believe the lie. So there's going to be some kind of lie that, that will be used on all the television stations, by all the news anchors, by all the United Nations, by the, by the Antichrist and his government to convince the world that it wasn't the rapture. I don't know what it's going to be. It's going to be something they believe. It's going to be aliens. It's going to be something. And everybody's going to believe it. But think about it. God himself is going to give an object lesson because not every cemetery plot will be opened. Just those of the believers. And when you drive by the cemetery, you will see this one and that one and this one and that one. And you think to yourself, what happened? And it's an object lesson that the dead in Christ rise first. Somebody said, why do the dead in Christ rise first? The other guy said, because they have six feet further to go. <laughs> okay, that's the best I got at humor today. But the, but the answer to the question is about believers who love Jesus and have passed. They're in heaven. They're with the Lord. They come with him when that day of rapture comes. So what about us? They're already with the Lord. They come. The, the grave plots are open as an object lesson. What about us? Very next verse. The scripture says, verse 17, then we who are alive and left. So here's something else you can know. When Jesus comes back, somebody's going to be alive and left. Sometimes people go, I don't know why I believe in that second coming stuff. The apostles thought he was going to come in their lifetime. It's been 2,000 years. I don't know that he can come. Here's something else you can know. We're closer to the second coming than we've ever been before. And somebody's going to be alive and left here. When it happens, we who are alive and left 
will be caught up together with them. He's talking about the believers who had already died with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Every now and then, uh, after I preach a sermon like this, somebody catches me after and they go, Pastor, I don't know if I believe in that rapture stuff. You're just saying that. Just hoping we're not going to go through the tribulation. The word rapture doesn't even appear in the Bible. Well, it doesn't appear, the word rapture in English doesn't appear in your English translation Bible. There's a phrase here that I just read. It's the two words, we will be caught up. Do you see that? In the Greek, it's, it's snatched away, literally, is the way it would be a good translation of it. Snatched away, reverse gravity in that moment, gone up. Um, Corinthians says, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. That's how fast it will happen. It's not like everybody here will watch us slowly ascend. Gone, poof, gone, caught up. When, uh, when in the more closer to the Middle Ages, they started writing, they started translating the Greek uh, uh, scrolls to Latin, then they used a Latin word, rapturo, from where we get the English word rapture. And so here it is. It's clear in this passage, this is not the second return of Christ where he comes back and puts his foot on the earth. That will be at the Battle of Armageddon, the beginning of the thousand-year reign. That's when he reigns on earth. This is, we meet him in the clouds. He just comes to our atmosphere, and we are caught up. We're snatched away. We are raptured to meet the Lord in the air. And so this is that phrase. So the living followers of Christ will be raptured, will be caught up to meet the Lord, and those who have died in the Lord, those who were believers, will be caught up to meet them in the air, and so will we ever be with the Lord. And that means, that phrase means, and so will we ever be with the Lord, it means that this season of history of planet Earth has come to an end. And so here's the thing that's really important for you to understand. Here's the thing that I want you to get. There is a distinct difference, and I've studied it for years. I've asked myself, how does this believer continue to live in the joy of the Lord, in the passion of their salvation, in the, the excitement and exuberance of the, of the prospect of heaven and the filling of the Holy Spirit, and this other believer who comes to the same church every Sunday, hears the same messages, goes to the same life groups, how is this other believer just barely getting by? They're just slugging it out. They're just mucking it out. They're just, just grinding it out. No joy. No Holy Spirit life, no passion for their faith. They don't share their faith. They can't give anything in the offering because they, they don't have anything. They just, what is the difference in these two who have both given their lives to Christ? And in my experience, as I've analyzed this all the years, I've come to believe that the thing that changes the heart and soul of a person so that they can keep the passion of their salvation is the, the belief of the imminent return of Jesus Christ. 
One person has it, looks forward to it, thinks about it. When they read their Bible, they say, there's a second coming. There's the second coming. There's the rapture. There it is again. They think about it. They, they get up in the morning thinking, maybe today will be the day. And the other one doesn't give it a thought. The other one wakes up and goes, I got to go to work today. The other one goes to work and thinks, I hope nobody asks me about my religion today. I'll be embarrassed. Tell them I'm a believer. The other one doesn't tell their friends and family. They don't share their faith. They don't have any of the joy of the Lord. They can't find a place of service. They, they just go around. They go around their satellite TV, 400 channels, nothing on. They live like the world lives. And this doctrine is the dividing line, I think, between one who has the passion of God and the joy of God. Now, I want to tell you, the longer you're a Christian, you have to be careful. You can dry up. Um, I, this summer, celebrate 54 years knowing Jesus. I know I don't even look that old, do I? It wasn't that funny. Sometimes after 50 years of knowing Jesus, I can say, I, I think I've heard all the Bible stories. I think I've heard all the Sunday school lessons. I've read my Bible through many, many times. It's not likely that on a given Sunday, I'm going to go and hear something new that I've never heard before. And so we start to ho-hum it. We just come through and we go through the motions. I, I want to tell you something. This Sunday, this Sunday that falls on pretty close to this date every year, the Sunday after vacation Bible school is often the hardest Sunday for me to preach of the year. Do you know why? Because I've been in here five straight days with the joy of the Lord. You saw the videos. You heard some of it. We hit, we hit about, we, we have a decibel meter upstairs. You probably didn't know that. We have it for those of you who complain that the music's too loud. We know exactly how loud it is. We have a decibel meter upstairs. Without the music playing, we hit 103 decibels in this room. It was just mostly the screams of little girls. It was one of those days when they thought they were going to win the offering. Boys won. Boys rule, girls drool. I learned that this week. I learned a lot of things this week. I was reminded this week, as I am every year, of the exuberance that should exist for the one who knows Jesus. The cheers for every child that professed faith and was baptized. We do kind of a, we, we kind of do, adults, we do, a, we do like a golf clap. Praise Jesus. Not them, they do a, Whoa! And so what happens to me is, I come in here, and I see the joy of the Lord, and I see a passion for their faith, and I see the excitement, and I have all of that, and then I meet you on Sunday. God bless you. <laughs> I, on the day that Jesus returns, I want to I be living the joy of the Lord like I did on the day that I gave my life to Christ. I don't want to be one 
who gets raptured up, and then I'm just like, oh, I guess it's, I guess it's true. It happened. I want to be living it out every day of my life. Uh, some of you guys know in June, went down, we sold Patrice's home in Texas. Uh, one, of, one of the little old ladies of the church, when she found out that Patrice was selling her home, she looked at me and she said, oh, you passed the probation. <laughs> I said, thanks. Um, the problem for Patrice and I is we had, I, I had a whole home full of stuff. And then she had a whole home full of stuff. And, and we had too much stuff, too much earthly stuff. So we just decided to give a lot of it away. And there were some people we know that didn't have very much earthly stuff. And we invited them over to give them some stuff. And so we were moving stuff. It's all earthly stuff. It's furniture. It's all kind. We're moving stuff out to a trailer that they brought for them. And they, they kind of lived in a neighborhood where nobody had any earthly stuff. And we're, to, we're, we're packing it out. Now, remind you, we're packing it out in June in Houston. It's a thousand degrees and a million percent humidity. And after we've made a bunch of trips and we're soaked in that Houston humidity, uh, this little lady looks at me and she said, are you always so happy? And I said, I've got Jesus. And then she smiled and she said to me, I do too. I, I, I didn't have to think all day. Now, how am I going to share with her the, the four spiritual laws, the plan of salvation? She saw something in me and was compelled to ask, who smiles in a thousand degrees, million percent humidity? Someone who knows they're not going to experience that for eternity. <laughs> this, is, this is who we are. If you lived your life with the belief in the imminent return of Jesus Christ, wouldn't it change what you would do the rest of this day? Some of you would call a son who's not a believer. Some of you would call a daughter. Some of you would call a brother or a sister or a mom or a dad. Some of you would get across the street. It would change the urgency of the gospel that you've received and how you want to share that. It would change how you go to work tomorrow because Jesus is going to return. You can know it. It comes from the word of the Lord. And all of this passage ends this way, in verse 18. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. If we go back to verse 13, he said, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, like those who are asleep. We don't want you to grieve like people who don't have hope. So, here we, we learn something else, something that we can know. God doesn't want us to live like unbelievers. He doesn't want us to grieve like unbelievers. The teaching is meant for our comfort and our encouragement. It's meant to renew the passion of our souls so that we can remember, this is what I want to remember, that Jesus died for me. My sins are forgiven. They're washed away, put farther than the east is from the west. He remembers them no more. When I, when I close my eyes in death, I will open them to Jesus. This is what he wants you to know. He wants you to know that this life has a certain ending. Now, both of these truths, it's good that they're both together in the same passage. 
the conclusion is always the same. This season of the planet of Earth, and those of us who live in this season, it has an ending. For you, it will end one of two ways. You will close your eyes in death. You will go to heaven through the veil of death, or Jesus will return. But either way, this season ends. Do you understand it? Uh, Two weeks ago, Pastor Steve Fowler officiated a funeral. Uh, Last week, Pastor Bill Swan officiated a funeral. Friday, I officiated the funeral of Darling Thomas, one of our uh, sisters here. I have a funeral tomorrow and one Friday. Funerals are good for me. Do you know why? Because everyone reminds me that this ends. There's, no, there's not one person in the room that's 500 years old. There's a couple of you that look like it. <laughs> nobody's 500. Nobody's 400. Nobody's 300. Nobody's 200. This is going to end for you. The scripture says it's appointed on a man once to die and after that the judgment. It says in this passage that there are two ways to heaven, death and the rapture. But either way, this ends. And I'm reminded in every funeral, I'm not going to live for this world. It is, it's a waste of every good thing that God has given me to live for this world. He says, invest in a place where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves don't break in and steal. Where your heart is, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. Lay up treasures in heaven. That's where we're going. And so, why is it that we don't grieve like the world? Because we know where we're going. We know what heaven is. We have so much about heaven in the scriptures. This is where we all want to be. I don't want to be on earth anymore. I have 400 channels. I go around them and I go around them and there's nothing to watch. There's nothing here on this earth that grabs me. I'm I'm not holding my breath waiting for the United Nations to make our life better. Not waiting for any government, anything to make my life better. When I see the despair of this life and the sin of this life and the tragedy of this life, And when I see the sickness and the death in this life, I want to be in heaven. Now, let me tell you something about your loved ones who have gone on before you. They don't want to come back. Did you know that? There's not one person in heaven that wants to come back. It's why there's another part to the story of Lazarus that's not in our Bible. When Jesus brings Lazarus back, there was a conversation, I guarantee, between Lazarus and Jesus. Lazarus said, what? I've been in heaven for four days and you brought me back to Martha and Mary. I, I, I know what, what did Jesus say? Sorry, dude, but I needed to do it. <sighs> they don't want to come back. We miss them. They don't miss us. They see us. They see it. The scripture says, when you're in heaven, you know, even as you are known. Nobody would come back. So we don't grieve like those who have no hope. I'm out of time, but let me just say this. I've talked about funerals. There's two kinds of funerals. 
clearly two kinds of funerals. The funeral of an unbeliever is terrible. That grief, particularly for those who know that that soul is separated from God for eternity, it's awful. See, we don't grieve like that, though, for believers. For believers, this is just a celebration of life, and we, and we know, we're, we know we're, we're gone to heaven. And the only way unbelievers can get through it, by the way, is to pretend. They have to pretend that he was good or that now he's an angel in heaven they ha- they ha- because they can't live in that grief. It's too much. So they pretend, or, or they drink it away. But you and I, when we go to the funeral of a believer, we celebrate for them. They are where we want to be. It's, it's a graduation. It's the culmination of sanctification. It's glorification. And we are reminded in this life as these bodies get older and decay and don't work and life becomes distasteful. We aren't made for earth. Every funeral reminds us. And we can remind ourselves every day by remembering, taking some time to remember the doctrine of the second coming of Christ. And the believer who lives their life in light that Jesus may return today, maybe this afternoon, Maybe tonight, maybe tomorrow, that's a different life. That's a life of passion. That's a life of exuberance. That's the joy of the Lord. And the scripture says, encourage one another with these words. I want to ask for every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed. I wonder this morning, as I've talked about the rapture and the coming of Christ, is it possible that you're not ready for that? If Jesus returned today, you'd be left out. You'd be left behind. Because you've never given your life to Christ. This morning, I want you to to know that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That Jesus loves you. That's why he came the first time. That's why he came and died. So that you could ask for the forgiveness of your sins. You could make him your Lord and Savior. And that when he comes the second time, he'll come for you. If you've never given your life to Christ, that's the starting place. Maybe you say, I don't even really know how. You could catch me or one of the pastors after the service. Maybe the person that you came with who knows Christ. But you can know Jesus today and be certain that when he returns, he'll return for you. But believers, let me talk to you just for a little bit. You fall into one of those categories. You're either grinding it out and you don't have the joy of the Lord and there's no uh, spiritual exuberance to your life or... You can live knowing that heaven's just around the corner. Whether you go there through the veil of death or Jesus returns, it's just around the corner. And you can be living for that today. That's how God wants you to live. That's what he's waiting for. And when you start to live that way, you won't even have to tell anybody. It'll be obvious by how you live your life. Father, you've looked into our hearts this morning. You know everything about us. I pray for these here that don't know you. I pray that before this day is over, that they would give their lives to you. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters here, some who have lost the joy of the Lord. 
They don't think about your return. They don't think about heaven. They don't think about eternity. They just started thinking about this world the way people who don't know you think about this world. So, Father, bring your word fresh into their minds. Bring them into the fellowship of brothers and sisters in Christ. Restore to them the joy of their salvation. And let us live knowing that you may return at any moment. So change us and remake us into your image. Give us the the likeness of your soul. Let us see with your eyes, hear with your ears, and let us live this life in a way that would bring you glory and honor. For we pray all of this in the most precious and holy name of Jesus. And all of God's people said, Amen. Well, by way of benediction, the passage that I just read to you from 1 Thessalonians 4 isn't unique in the New Testament. The New Testament talks about the second coming of Christ over and over and over again. On an average, one in every 27 verses in the New Testament is about the second coming of Christ. Here's one of those passages from 1 Corinthians 15. He says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. He's talking about death, but we will all be changed. I actually saw this verse uh, over the doorway to a nursery one time. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. (laughs) And then it says this, in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, this is how fast the rapture happens. It doesn't say in the wink of an eye. You can measure how long it takes to wink, but not the twinkle of an eye. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable. We who are still alive, we will be changed because the perishable body, why, why will we be changed? The perishable body can't put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then it comes to pass this saying, death is swallowed in victory. You and I, there's no death for us. Jesus said to Martha before he raised Lazarus, whoever believes in me will never die. Have a great day. Go in peace. Thank you for listening to audio from Emmanuel Baptist Church, located in Billings, Montana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Emmanuel, please visit us online at www.myemmanuel.net.